In this episode, Wayne Jett and I continue in our series, The Fruits of Graph, Great Depressions Then and Now. We pick it up from 1980 and carry it forward to about 2008. Thank you for listening. We had fun. Hope you do as well. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery, and we continue the series that our friend Wayne Jett has uh, graciously agreed to um, go through with us. So there's a series. We're picking it up uh, about where we left off in the last episode to about 79, 1980. Paul Boker, Jimmy Carter, Milton Friedman, Ronald Reagan, inflation, high interest rates, and how uh, Volcker was going to manage the interest rates through the money supply. And so if we could just pick it up from there, Wayne. All right, let's do that. Uh, well, those days uh, lasted in terms of uh, the money supply management by the Fed under Volcker until the Mexican banks uh, screamed uh, to uh, actually the Mexican government that had uh, borrowed from the Wall Street banks to develop its oil industry, uh, screamed that uh, the monetary policy of the Fed had crashed the oil price. Uh, I believe that Volcker was intentionally causing a deflation, uh, not intending uh, to to help Reagan, of course, quite the contrary. Uh, Even the interest rate uh, cuts that Reagan was able to uh, accomplish that gave economic growth uh, was squelched by uh, a dollar that uh, uh, the money money supply was so uh, deprived in quantity by Volcker that uh, my friend uh, economist that I was working with uh, uh, had told Volcker if it goes below $300 an ounce on gold, um, we'll have a, uh, uh, failure of banks. And so, uh, Volcker said Milton Friedman didn't, uh, uh, think so. Uh, he refused to, uh, uh reverse the, uh, uh, provide more money in order to get the gold price up. And as a result, the Mexican banks uh, told the new, um, the Mexican government told the New York banks that uh, uh, they were going to default on their loans, uh, and uh, uh, that of course resulted in a scream by those banks to the Fed to add more money, uh, which happened, and uh, we had recovery from there. My point in going into that uh, to the detail I have is that. Uh, um, this was a time uh, somewhat like today in which uh, the wrong guy was in office uh, and uh, was not uh, really cooperating with uh, uh, the powers that be uh, and uh, the powers that be re- preferred a recession. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, the Fed was a very active player. You know, um, if I can interject here, Wayne, that brings back lots of memories. I haven't uh, talked about, I had a conversation about the Mexican banks, and they actually defaulted on a lot of those loans around that time. Wasn't that one of the times that they defaulted? The peso was revalued? Was that Did that go well, on about uh, 80, 81? It was a very uh, uh, troubled time, we'll say, for the banks, but 
The Fed uh, accommodated the banks perfectly, changed its policy, provided funds. Uh, those, uh, they, as a matter of fact, they've provided exactly enough funds to pay off the banks. <laughs> I mean, to, to, <laughs> what to a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, to bring the banks uh, up to date as far as their Mexican loans. Uh, so he didn't provide any more money uh, to, to the uh, economy than, than absolutely necessary to, uh, to assuage the banks. Uh, but that was the kind of thing that, uh, you know, Volcker uh, was uh, completely erroneously credited, so-called, with breaking the back of inflation. Uh, it was a, uh, a terrible monetary policy the entire time. Uh, but nevertheless, that's, uh, that's the kind of reporting we get, both from academics of the universities and by the press. They make famous whom they wish. Uh, Volcker was a Chase Manhattan, uh, that is a Rockefeller man from the word go, and so they were they were uh, carrying out cabalist, uh, as I would call it, global cabalist uh, policy. And of course, uh, uh, he had been the one uh, to uh, usher in the day of the floating dollar. Yep, that is cutting the dollar completely away from gold. And uh, therefore, um, uh, subjecting the savings of American people and anyone using the dollar to severe attrition, that is stealing of the value uh, by uh, uh, reducing the value of savings. Same thing that's uh, happening today. On a uh, daily uh, basis, every yes. day, daily. Very much so, very much so. And uh, it's that fiat currency that gives this tremendous power to those who own the bank uh, to take the value of savings out in the form of free money issued to themselves. And, and uh, their mercantilist, their yeah. Kabbalist capitalism, it's not even true capitalism, it's uh, crony capitalism. The first crony right. capitalist friend that gets to touch the money, you know, wins. Right. Uh, the, the term crony capitalism uh, just use, uh, preserves the idea that we're really capitalists when we're not. Exactly. It is a term for mercantilism. Right. That is uh, uh, economy for the kingmakers. Uh, big uh, government, country. big government projects, high tariffs with now high taxation. Right. So. And so uh, here we go. Uh, we uh, finally uh, ditch Volcker and get Greenspan. Um, Greenspan, Alan Greenspan, became Fed chairman. And um, in the past, he had, uh, uh, to some extent, uh, sung the praises of a gold standard. And uh, the need for that kind of measure on the value of the dollar so it could be certain and stable and guaranteed. Uh, but uh, once in as the Fed, uh, the first thing he did, uh, the first weekend that he was uh, uh, Fed chairman was to give an interview, I think, to Fortune magazine saying that it really didn't, uh, wasn't important to him to maintain the value of the dollar. Uh, the following Monday uh, was the thousand point crash in the, uh, in the Dow, I think it was. Uh, and... Uh, he immediately reversed that course and uh, started making uh, 
assurances that uh, the dollar's value would be maintained and so forth. And we went from there. Um, he uh, followed a monetary policy that uh, was restrictive for some time. And, uh, but the price of gold moved back up from where it uh, was. And uh, by the early 90s, uh, we had gold in the range of just below $400, sometimes uh, $420 an ounce, uh, thereabouts. And it uh, remained fairly steady in that uh, regard uh, during the early 90s. Uh, however, uh, that uh, uh, from the mid-90s, uh, thereabouts, I don't have the chart exactly in mind, but uh, basically the mid-90s, the gold price uh, mysteriously began uh, falling again. And my goodness, uh, by the time we got to 1998, we had a gold price in the dollar um, down to uh, something in the 250 range. And uh, that caused a crash in the oil price again. Uh, most people wouldn't, you know, after the surging oil prices we had in the early 2000s, uh, uh, most people would forget uh, that gold, uh, that oil fell to something like 10 or $11 a barrel in 1998. I remember that. They were capping wells all over Texas. I right. mean, right and left. It was now, ugly. The reason I mentioned this uh, severe deflation is uh, this was secretly done. It was not talked about by the Fed. Uh, the Fed denied it. Um, my uh, colleague at the time, uh, well, it wasn't at the time, but later, uh, told me that uh, during that time, he was a friend of Greenspan's. They communicated from time to time, and he specifically communicated with, with Greenspan, the Fed chairman, uh, on more than one occasion, telling him that uh, you've got to loosen up on the money supply. Uh, you're going to crash commodities. Uh, we've got a severe deflation already. Uh, Greenspan stopped communicating with him. Uh, and... Uh, 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 wouldn't uh, discuss it at all, uh, which basically uh, uh, clearly means to me that uh, he knew what he was doing. He didn't want it discussed. He didn't want it admitted to anybody. And he didn't want this particular man to know about it because this man wrote to the public uh, pretty prolifically. Are you speaking so of Jude Wininsky? Yeah, Jude Winiski of uh, Paul Economics. Uh, I later started working with him in something like 2003 or thereabouts, and that was the time uh, period during which he uh, related many of these experiences to me. Uh, but uh, since Greenspan wouldn't speak with him in the late 90s, uh, he went to the White House directly and said, you've got to alleviate the monetary policy uh, we've got a severe uh, deflation in the dollar. Uh, and what was happening, very important to understand what that does, uh, particularly starting with uh, businesses that are uh, dealing in industrial goods and spot markets and things of that sort, where their prices are priced on a daily basis of their products, whether it's cement or concrete or 
uh, various industrial supplies, oil and so forth. And uh, of course, at $10, $11 a barrel for oil, uh, the oil companies were having to shut down wells, having to go out of business, they couldn't pay their bills, so forth. So it was a difficult time, and uh, the warnings seemed to certainly be urgent for them. But what happens in the economy as a whole is that when these basic industrial corporations that are traded in the stock markets, uh, when they stop being profitable, obviously their share prices start falling. They become unpopular. Uh, investors move their money out of those industrial uh, companies and they put them in things that are going up uh, in order to uh, stay ahead in the market. That's exactly what happened then. All the basic industrial uh, businesses uh, were losing stock price, losing market share and so forth. And uh, what was going up, of course it was uh, high tech. Uh, and uh, it was a, uh, in my belief, it was a deliberate manipulation of the market to do exactly what it did. It built high tech, built high tech. It went up and up and up and up during the late 90s. As the basic industrials were going down, uh, the Southeast Asian tigers, economies over there that had been so prosperous, uh, producing commodities and things of that sort, were crashing. Uh, their economies were failing because uh, their commodities prices uh, were uh, having to drop in order to sell anything at all. Uh, we had some uh, so-called emergencies of that kind with the failures of those uh, governments or economies. Uh, but uh, we come around uh, to uh, early 2000 and uh, March of 2000, uh, the signal is given. And uh, I'll tell a particular story right now as to how we mark that tech crash that began in the, the first week of March of 2000. Uh, it was uh, coincidentally, we didn't learn until 2007, uh, March of 2007, we learned that the SEC announced in writing a settlement of a major case that had been unpublicized before it had settled a major case against Goldman Sachs, uh, the largest of the operators, of course, on uh, Wall Street. Uh, the, the case that was announced settlement in 2007 uh, was one in which if you read between the lines of what was written by the SEC in its announcement, uh, you can calculate approximately the date on which the misconduct began. Uh, my calculation of that was by the end of the first week in March of 2000, exactly the time that the uh, tech crash began. Uh, if you calculate by reading between the lines, again, a very ambiguous statement, but one that you could calculate when the misconduct ended, it was about the end of the first week in October of 2002. Now that uh, is, uh, in my estimation, precisely the extent of the, the tech crash of 2000, 2002. Uh, what was the misconduct by Goldman Sachs that uh, was described? Well, they just began a practice of allowing their hedge fund clients uh, 
to directly use the, the trading platforms that ordinarily Goldman Sachs was responsible for directly inputting orders. But they turned it over to their hedge fund clients. So the clients placing the orders didn't go through Goldman Sachs. They went directly to the trading and uh, did the trades themselves. And what did they do? They started marking all of their short sales as long sales. Hmm. And so uh, they were selling short, which meant at that time there was an uptick rule. Mm -hmm. So by saying it's a long trade, you don't have to wait for an uptick. And number two, you don't borrow the stock. And number three, you don't deliver it. So all of the sales they did, those hedge funds through Goldman Sachs for those uh, more than two years, two and a half years of the tech crash, uh, were basically, they were naked short selling. Uh, that's the kind of thing in which uh, you, you basically make counterfeit shares as many as you want. Uh, you sell them as long as you want in order to drive the stock price down. You recover uh, you cover your shorts at the bottom and uh, uh, if at all, and then uh, you do it again uh, as long as you want. Uh, you know, Wayne, that, was, that, yes. that, sounds, that sounds like the current uh, paper uh, gold market, you know, the current market in gold manipulated by paper. That sounds, yes. it, it's almost like you can overlay that, that blueprint, that methodology into the, uh, the, uh, private equity firms, you know, driving these companies into bankruptcy, taking them over, then bringing them back public and financing the deal, yes. getting the attorney, yes. all the legal work. They're all, they're all working together and they just do it over and over and over. It's the same concept, maybe a different uh, yes. area. And I might say that settlement in 2007 with Goldman Sachs for that uh, activity, that conduct by Goldman Sachs is responsible for those trades that entire period. Uh, SEC allowed Goldman Sachs to say well, it really wasn't their fault. It was their customers that were doing this wrong. And so uh, they shouldn't have done it, but it really was not. They fined them $7 million. Uh, that was, uh, I'm sure, more than covered in the first hour of trading of the first day of the crash. Uh, it uh, is ridiculous in terms of the absurdity uh, of the idea or the thought that the Securities and Exchange Commission is anything other than a rubber stamp for the big operators of Wall Street. Uh, they simply are led around uh, as a collar uh, on a chain uh, uh, as the obedient uh, puppy of the, uh, of the big traders, the big uh, operators on Wall Street, the big banks. So the SEC, as I said in my book, The Fruits of Graft, and showed as a historical basis, uh, it was uh, conceived from the beginning in 1933 when it was created as a shield for the major players on Wall Street. The SEC. From, uh, right. That's right. Uh, as a shield to protect the big players from any prosecution for financial crimes. Uh, and yet, uh, for so many years, the SEC has been touted as uh, the hallmark of enforcement to make our uh, 
U.S. financial markets, the fairest and most uh, uh, transparent in the world. Uh, if anything, the opposite is the truth. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, it is uh, the case. That's every every government plan, Wayne, whatever the stated title is, whatever the stated objective is, the truth is 180, per, 180 degrees opposite. So that's... Uh, at, every, at every point uh, that I've been able to determine, uh, our government has been controlled uh, in every respect by this globalist cabal of the major uh, thieves of the world, of history, that have uh, stolen so much, uh, their wealth is beyond measure. Uh, I believe that's exactly what we're dealing with now in our current uh, financial crisis, our current governmental crisis. I've written an article just recently on my website uh, to the effect that uh, the, the social unrest, so-called, that uh, we've been experiencing in the United States and the major cities, the attacks, the, the terror, uh, is a globalist attack, uh, very much in the same nature as the insurgency into Russia in 1913, 1917 particularly, I meant, uh, in 1917, when the Bolsheviks were insurgents put into Russia with uh, major financing from international banks, um, we have evidence of uh, one of the major officials, uh, operatives of the globalist cabal, uh, who testified in 1938 that, yes, he indeed had uh, been transmitting funds into Russia on behalf of the uh, globalists to finance the Bolsheviks to begin, the, well, to kidnap the Tsar uh, and to um, uh, eventually uh, murder him and his family, uh, to uh, take the parliament uh, in Russia and uh, conduct a, a bloody, bloody civil war uh, uh, dominating that country for 70 years as a so-called communist government uh, when it was uh, fully and completely controlled by the globalist cabal that entire time. In other words, the same financial powers that control our, our Wall Street. You know, the communism, communism cannot exist without central banks. Just like, just like world wars cannot happen without central banks. So. And uh, in that regard, I would say one of the uh, uh, current uh, events, <clears throat> pardon me, and presently is the report that I'm sure you've seen that uh, the Federal Reserve has been taken into the Treasury Department by the president and is uh, the chairman of the Fed is now reporting directly to President uh, Trump and taking orders. And uh, some of those events are uh, certainly worth discussing at some point in time, but uh, we're still back in the uh, period uh, just after 2000, the tech crash. 
And then the gradual uh, rebuilding from $252 an ounce, which was the low price in gold and therefore the severest point of, of uh, deflation of the dollar, the increase in value of each dollar so that it crashed commodity prices. Uh, they finally started adding uh, money um, but between 2002, October 2002, and 2008, in th that period of time, uh, the largest amount of money added in any one year, uh, my recollection is it was $45 billion, uh, which in today's money would hardly, wouldn't get them through the day. <laughs> Jump change. Uh, That's half a day's pay right there. <laughs> Right. And, uh, and yet, uh, all through the time and years after the 2008 crash, uh, supposedly the whole thing was blamed on housing as uh, having so much money available from the Fed, that housing prices went through the roof and so forth and so on and so on. It just was not true. Uh, there was uh, increasing housing prices, particularly in major markets, but frankly, it's, it was, in my opinion, as a result of factors that we've been more aware of just in these recent years, that China was beginning to use the money that it was uh, accumulating from the U.S. and its tremendous sales into the U.S. economy, using the dollars to finance people to come over here and buy properties. Uh, and yes, uh, they had so much money that uh, price was hardly an object and they were buying lots of real estate, housing uh, among them, but commercial and industrial and other uh, real estate, real property, uh, not financial instruments so much. Um, and uh, that was what was being experienced in those times. But again, we get to 2008 and the Federal Reserve uh, at that time uh, it was an intricate, more intricate uh, than the, what I described for the tech crash as to the way that was brought about. Uh, but it was to be blamed on uh, uh, too much uh, easy money for uh, mortgages and too many people getting mortgages that they uh, couldn't afford to repay. And it was all these deadbeats that uh, you know, weren't paying their mortgages and so forth. And everyone started running for mortgages and uh, the mortgage bonds and so forth. Well, uh, what was really going on then, uh, Enron, I, I could go back and talk about that just a little bit. Uh, we know uh, from more recently that Enron was set up and uh, was put out of business by a phony lawsuit filed by the Justice Department accusing them of uh, financial fraud uh, of a nature that was not a criminal offense under any statute at that time. But the same guy who ran the operation to go after President Trump in the, uh, the Russian investigation, uh, Russiagate, was the same attorney who put two different criminal statutes together into an allegation of a complaint against Enron, filed a comp criminal complaint against Enron. Enron was put out of business by the time that hit the press the next morning. And so was Arthur Anderson, the accounting firm, and the biggest and most respected accounting firm was the firm for uh, Enron. 
it was put out of business without a trial because they also filed the, that criminal case uh, against them and uh, and they were put out of business uh, overnight uh, no trial uh, on a uh, trumped up charge that was intended uh, I think what what happened in the aftermath of Enron was a takeover of the Enron business in uh, providing financial vehicles for uh, buying oil futures and things of that sort that business was taken over by a combination, as I recall, of Morgan Stanley and uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, became a very big business for them. And uh, uh, they were also both involved in the mortgage crisis very heavily. Uh, there was a, uh, it was a sophisticated setup using financial derivatives uh, that uh, basically was a way of shorting bonds. Uh, you could uh, buy insurance on any bond, any corporate bond, even though you didn't own it. You could buy insurance. And uh, what happened when you bought an insurance derivative on a, a corporate bond is that the seller of that derivative would hedge hedge the uh, sale that he had just made of that uh, insurance policy by selling that corporate bond, by selling it short. And of course, uh, that is exactly the thing that was uh, being done. Those bonds were being sold short. Every time a derivative was bought, uh, the bonds were sold short and of course, that immediately drove the price of those bonds uh, into oblivion. There was a new uh, bond index set up in Britain, offshore from the United States, but obviously covering all the bonds in the United States. Um, and of all things, the index of that bond announced the specific bonds, they only had about two dozen bonds, in the index uh, to uh, uh, be the monitor, supposedly, of what's happening in the whole mortgage industry. That, that doesn't even and, create a diversified portfolio, does it, 12? Oh, <laughs> and then, and then uh, talk about moral hazard. It's like there's no morality in that whole construct. That's I, correct. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Now, uh, I'll, I'll go into that just a little bit further. That index, I, the ABX index, index is what it was called, and, and it was also set up by the same combination, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, set up, set up in London, had the certain 24 identifiable bonds. In order for, to make that index go down, all you had to do is buy derivatives on those bonds. <laughs> and that's exactly what was done. As soon as those bonds were known, you buy a derivative on them, an insurance policy. Uh, your insurance policy requires that the seller of the insurance policy, in effect, is, is going to short those bonds, naked short. And so, obviously, the, as soon as that bond index, ABX, was set up in London, it, it went live, I think, in March. Uh, and uh, uh, immediately began going straight down. 
And of course, uh, that uh, began the run against mortgages, against the mortgage uh, bonds, against all mortgage bonds, even ones that were fully AAA. People, you know, the press and those discussing it uh, would make uh, these uh, uh, inflamed uh, news reports about how how could anything be uh, AAA rated when it's uh, with these bonds of people who can't pay their mortgages, these people who didn't even deserve a house and so forth. Yeah, sure. Blame blame the customer, uh, right? Yeah. And then blame yeah. the rating agencies yeah. whenever right. you're creating this paper market that's so easy to manipulate there also was adopted a new accounting rule by the cpas oh yeah mark the market said uh, (laughs) you know you have to use the most recent data uh, and you have to run the value of your mortgages as if it's really cash in hand or cash lost you have to take that out of your profit and loss statement on a quarterly basis and so uh, anyone who owned mortgages or, or those mortgage-backed securities all of a sudden was bleeding red. Uh, all of that was uh, set up and uh, therefore they became, began targets themselves of that, uh, that short selling. Um, the, uh, the Federal Reserve itself um, was definitely uh, in on it. Uh, as far as um, per use, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. nothing and, out of the ordinary there. <laughs> the, the way I was in on it is that they began raising interest rates um, at a time when it really wasn't uh, called for, uh, but uh, raising interest rates for the purpose of what? Their purpose was to reduce inflation by putting people out of work. That is the thesis of what's called the Phillips curve, which is a, an outrageous uh, Keynesian economic theory coming out of Britain uh, or the logical sources, I'm sure espoused in Harvard and so forth, that if you put people out of work, they can't buy as many things and therefore prices won't go up as fast. Um, it is... Uh, that uh, Phillips curve theory and policy used by the Federal Reserve, I would go so far as to use the word satanic. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you, you just can't get any more evil than to take the view that you can control uh, money's value best by making people starve so they can't afford a house or food. Uh, that... Uh, really gets me riled. And, Listen, uh, I, I completely agree. As a yeah, matter of fact, yeah. since you brought that up, it's like um, my personal opinion, what I have come to believe over, you know, 57 years with my feet on the ground, 30 years in the financial world, you know, uh, 16 years practicing this infinite banking concept that I learned from my mentor, R. Nelson Nash, and just being observant, trying to pay attention. You know, I'm not sleepwalking through life. I'm a student of history. I'm a student of economics. I'm a student of my profession. I'm a student of my faith. These these people that rule the cabal, um, however you want to term them, I mean, they're of the lineage of Satan, in my opinion. You know, they're the children of Satan. You can't do what they do without hating your fellow man. You can... 
be, it's, it's evil, satanic, no question. And we're just semantics. You know, this is pure evil. There's no, uh, I don't think you can hate your fellow man any more than they do. And all you have to do is look at what they've done throughout history. And we're just really talking about the last hundred years or so in the financial world. So um, I agree with you. And, and we uh, are experiencing right now uh, so-called pandemics uh, that just happened to come out of laboratories that just happened to originated in the United States and got uh, incidentally shipped uh, over to China uh, with people who uh, could no longer work in the United States because the U.S. laws had made it unlawful. Uh, but uh, U.S. Uh, National Institutes of Health federal funds just happened to follow that work over there and uh, fund the, the laboratory work in China uh, on that same laboratory, on the same uh, virus. And uh, uh, now the, comp- the entire country gets shut down on it. Um, we have our invasion uh, on behalf of so-called racial unrest, uh, that uh, uh, in large part, again, is, is produced and financed by the same globalist cabal that announced back in 1901 its intentions to annihilate, to eliminate, to exterminate, to poison uh, blacks, dirty-skinned whites, uh, uh, Jews, yellow skins, red skins, anything of the sort that they did not want to be their servants, wiping out the entire middle class. Uh, That was their expressed intent in 1901, written in English, uh, and the author of which was immediately invited to the White House of Theodore Roosevelt, now on Mount Rushmore, I might add, uh, as the honored guest. And on the uh, arm of Margaret Sanger, the uh, abortionist and founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, a nicely sounding organization that basically deals in the death of unborn children. And Blood sacrificed to bail, in my opinion. Right. So, so there we are. Uh, that may be enough to cover today. That's pretty full. <laughs> I'm not sure how long we've gone at this point, but I think that's about a half hour. And um, we can uh, take it up another time or we can go on no, if you wish. No, I like this. I appreciate the, the time that you carve out of your busy schedule. And, um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, taking it, uh, you know, where, where, did, where did we get up to? We get up to uh, really 2008 in the, uh, the mortgage debacle that was created yes so we'll pick it up from there the next time all right great okay well james i thank you very much again and uh uh, certainly if your listeners i'm sure your audience is uh, growing if you haven't heard me say so uh before uh let me uh, recommend that that people who are uh willing to read uh, a far better way to learn what i'm talking about is with my book uh it's hardback it's sewn bound so that it doesn't fall apart it's not just by glue uh, because the information in it has never been reported in another book it shows how the great depression was created on purpose and by whom 
and what exact acts were done in order to make people starve to death in the United States and elsewhere in the world. Um, and uh, by the highest officials of the U.S. government. Uh, and it brings it up to date. Uh, certainly to th through 2008, it was published in 2011. Uh, but um, I, as amazing as it is to me, at the time it went out, uh, I could not have forecast that we would actually have a president come from a place outside the global cabal as we did in 2016. And I might add, in my opinion, in the very nick of time, hmm. uh, in order to get us out of, from under and to actually stage a counter-assault against this globalist cabal of kingmakers that have ruled the world, that put insurgents into Russia, the other great Christian nation, uh, and killed uh, 60 million Christians or so during 70 years of occupation, uh, it was a vicious occupation. People still here in America are still told uh, the Russians are communists. They drove the communists out, whatever they call themselves now. Uh, they have thrown out the Bolsheviks. Uh, and I think many of those, the leaders came here uh, just as the Nazis came here after World War II. And... Uh, were put into places that uh, the globalist cabal could use them here. And uh, we're suffering from it. We have suffered it from it all these years. And we have a chance now to uh, really do something about it. I think that's uh, underway at this point, even though things look bleak at times. But $25, uh, go to my website, classicalcapital.com, and uh, please get your copy. and. Uh, I think you won't regret it. Thanks for having me, James. Thank you. I appreciate you. And he's running low on his stock, so you better get there and get your copy while you still can. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, well, Wayne. Thanks, and uh, look look forward to our next discussion. Thanks for having me. I as well. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.